So I'm excited to actually teach in front of like real people this time. So I'm really excited. But I'm not teaching on Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. I know it seems a little weird. Like, why wouldn't you teach on it on the one Sunday that you're supposed to? Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. I studied a lot of the passages before it, after it. And then I was like, I had like three different sermons. And I was like, what am I going to teach on? And I finally settled on this one. So if this one is bad, just know there were two that were worse than this one. Um, So just keep that in mind. But I do want to challenge you to something really quickly. So when you are reading the Gospels, if you were to take one third of the Gospels, it would focus primarily on the Passion Week. One third of the Gospels. So what I want to challenge you to do is this week leading up to Easter, I want to challenge you really just jump in. So you could jump into Matthew 21 and just read the rest of Matthew and just really study it. Because if the Gospels writers found this week to being so important, then why don't we take the time this week to really read it for ourselves? Not just wait till Sunday when we get to hear that he has risen. No, let's like study this week and see why the gospel writers saw this week to be so important. Before we jump into our passage today, I do have an opening question for you, and it's this. Have you ever needed help but did not ask for it? So it is, have you ever needed help but did not ask for it? Now, everybody should be nodding their head, maybe raising their hand. We have all needed help at some point in our life, right? Whether you are a baby and you needed help, maybe it's in your job currently when you needed help. But the truth is, a lot of times we don't ask for help when we need it, or especially we don't ask for it right away, right? Maybe we wait till we're in some real like trouble before we ask for help. That's just kind of how we are wired as individuals. We want to figure it out on our own. We don't want somebody else to step in. Well, the story that came to my mind when I was preparing this is a story that goes back to my undergraduate days. Now, not many of you guys knew me in my undergraduate days, except for Hunter, who's in the room today. In my undergraduate days, I was on leadership on my hall pretty much my entire time. And because of that, I got to do ministry. I got to connect with guys and just like really pour into them spiritually. And that was awesome. Awesome. Also, I got a pretty good scholarship, so that was awesome as well. But I will say the worst part of my job would have to be at the end of the semester, everybody would be checking out, and you would see them going to be with their families and go on fun vacations, and we were stuck there pretty much an extra week because we had to make sure the rooms didn't run away. I really don't know why we had to stay there an extra week, but we would stay there as broke bored college students. So you can imagine we got into some trouble sometimes. But there was one year, and it was Christmas break, and everybody had left. It was just like leadership all over the campus, but there was no faculty, nobody to really supervise us. And we decided that the best and most mature thing that we could do is start a prank war. It did not end well. I will just start off by saying that. And so a few of my friends, they knew that my old Jeep had a lot of issues. So like the sunroof leaked, the doors didn't really lock, the windows were held up by like a Sharpie cap, which I don't know why that's what I chose to hold it up, but that's what I did. Well, they knew that they could get in my Jeep. And so they decided one night the best thing to do was to open it up, get some red glitter, and just pour it into all of my AC vents. Now guys, glitter is the worst thing in the world. Like I despise it, whoever created glitter, 
I don't know. I don't want to deal with you because glitter is the worst. I hate it. And so let's just say for the next five years, I had glitter randomly coming out of my AC vents. I never got rid of it. So after this moment, I knew I had to get revenge, which I know isn't a Christ-like thing, but I had to get revenge. And so what was, well, how was I going to get revenge? Well, I decided that the only thing that I could do is go to that girl's car and steal her tire off of her car. <laughs> now, if you know me, I am not great with cars. I have changed a tire a few times. I know my dad is watching online. He showed me how to change a tire when I was young. I know how to change a tire. But like, I'm not the best car man. I don't know if that's the title, but that is not what I am. And so we decided, I got one of my buddies who had never changed a tire, and we went to go take off this tire. And so we get there, we have a jack that is made for, I think it was made for a smart car. It is the smallest jack in the world. It it was not going to be helpful at all. Then we see the car. The car is parked on a slope because our university was built on a mountain. And so everything was telling us, just don't do it. Just don't do it. But we were kids in college, so we went for it. So we start jacking up the car, and we're like, is this actually going to lift it off the ground? Maybe not. And so while we're jacking it, we finally get it up, and we're like, okay, we got this. We got this. But then we start taking off the tire. And as we're kind of shuffling it off, right, the car slips off the jack. The tire is like half on, half off. It's barely holding up, and we're like, oh, no. Oh, no, like this is the time where we really wish like our dads were there or somebody that was like new cars and new jacks and stuff like that. We wish they were there. But did we call and ask for help? No, (laughs) no, we did not. We decided, you know what? Let's do it again. And so eventually we got it jacked back up. And then we were like, do we put the tire back on or do we take it all the way off? We eventually decide to put it back on. But we never asked for help. It was way out of my comfort zone. I knew it was going to end poorly, yet I did not ask for help. Now, that's a silly example, and maybe you have a more serious one based off of like your work life. Maybe it's your personal life where you knew you needed help, yet you did not ask for it. You see, I think a lot of times we don't ask for help because of pride. Failing to ask for help often stems from a place of pride. This isn't anything new. You probably already know this, but it's something that we deal with all the time. We refuse to ask for help. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of two individuals that needed help and they didn't let their pride get in the way. But first, we're going to look at the first verse in this passage. And I want to highlight some things for context reasons that I think will make this passage even greater for you. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29, if you want to go ahead and flip or scroll or however you read your Bible nowadays. And Matthew 20, verse 29 says this, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. This is one of those verses that if you're just like reading through the Bible, you don't like highlight anything. You probably aren't spending any time really digging into it because this is just like one of those filler ones, right? You're like, oh, there's about to be a miracle. That's what I need to focus in on. But this 
tells us so much important information. The first thing is it tells us kind of their location, that they were leaving Jericho. Jericho, maybe you know it from the Old Testament when they marched around and the walls came tumbling down and then they cursed the city. Well, this town now is kind of like a vacation spot for the rich and the powerful. So this is where they kind of have their second home. And because of that, you have extreme wealth in this town, but you also have extreme poverty. You have individuals that literally went to Jericho just to ask for money, to ask for food, because they knew that money was in this town. The next thing that we see is that Jesus had a large crowd. Not surprising, right? We see that time and time in the gospel where Jesus went, crowds came, people wanted to see him. But I think something that we often do when we think about the crowds following Jesus is we assume that these individuals were like Jesus freaks, right? That they were like, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the man, you know, all these things. But honestly, just think about who was probably in those crowds. It was probably people that were just curious, right? They had heard about Jesus going from town to town doing these things, and they probably just wanted to check him out. Maybe they just wanted to see some miracles. I know that would have been me, right? If I heard a man was doing all those things, I would go and just at least see him. There were some individuals that we know would just follow him just to trap him in a lie, to try to point out that he wasn't who he said he was. Just because these individuals were following Jesus does not mean that they were actually Jesus followers. So just keep that in mind, and we will see that highlighted. But the real thing I want to point out in this verse is they were leaving Jericho, and where were they going? They were going to Jerusalem. Jesus, at this point, is heading to the cross. He knows what is coming. Right here in Matthew, right before this passage, it talks about how he has told his disciples once again what is coming. Sometimes we forget, or sometimes we don't remember when we're reading scripture, that Jesus was fully God, but fully man. And because he was fully man, he had emotions, He had to navigate the same feelings and anxieties that we have. And I think Mark chapter 10, verse 32 highlights where Jesus was kind of at as a human. It says this in Mark 10, 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed him were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen. You see, here we have a good, I think, picture. Jesus is walking ahead of everybody else. He kind of leaves his disciples. He leaves the crowd behind, and they can see that he is wrestling with something, that he isn't quite right. Jesus is navigating a lot right here. He literally has the pressure of humankind on his shoulders, knowing that in the next week, he's going to experience the worst kind of beating and death imaginable. That's where Jesus is at as we're entering into our story. These are the things that he is feeling. But let's jump back into our passage today. Verse 30, two blind men were sitting there by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So here's the miracle that everybody wants to look at, right? But my question, our million dollar question today is this, how should we pray in the midst of hardship? You see some hardships we bring on ourselves. There's some that we don't bring on ourselves. It doesn't really matter. But these are some principles that we can take away from this passage. 
the first thing we must do is we must cry out to him. We must cry out to him. You see, these men, these two blind men, they had to find out, probably by just overhearing, that Jesus may be coming through this town, where the street that he may walk by, and they had to place themselves in a specific place, in a specific time. They may have been waiting there for hours just to hear Jesus walking by. And what did they do when they heard him? They went all out to get Jesus' attention, right? They didn't just like whisper and were like, Jesus, come heal us. No, they had to get his attention. And so they just start yelling, Jesus, Jesus, here, we need you, Jesus. But oftentimes that is not how we pray. That is not what we do in the midst of our hardships. Instead, we do what maybe you did as a kid. As a kid, maybe you were out with your family and then you came across your group of friends, like your friends showed up to like the restaurant or the movie theater. I know there was one time where I was with my dad and my sisters and we were at the movie theater. We were probably like three rows up from that nice bar that everybody sits at to prop their feet up. You guys know what I'm talking about? We were about three rows up from there and all of a sudden like all my friends from my middle school came in and like I was like, oh, that's cool. My friends are here and then like I looked and I saw my family. I was like, that's not so cool. And so I knew I should say, hey, I knew that I would talk to them about going to the movies. So I was like, I need to at least make the effort to like get their attention, right? So I was like, hey guys, what's up? And like, I kind of like whispered, yelled, which that's really not a thing, right? That's just whispering, but acting like you're yelling. But I was like, hey guys, good to see you. And of course they didn't hear me because I didn't want them to hear me because I was embarrassed uh, that I was with my family. But in reality, if I wanted them to hear me, I would have maybe stood up, probably not stood up in a movie theater, but I would have at least gotten loud and been like, hey guys, what's up? How are you? I would have done anything to get their attention, but I didn't want it. I didn't want their attention. I didn't want to connect with them. Instead, I was fine with them just passing by, and I kind of checked that box, right? I checked that box by saying, hey, at least I attempted. I attempted to get their attention. I attempted to connect with them, and that's what a lot of times we do when it comes to us when we're navigating hardships. We pray not because we want to connect with God, hear from God, but we just pray because we know that we should. Because that's what we have been told to do in church on Sundays. Maybe your grandma told you that. And so we just check that box, but we don't try to connect with him. We whisper to God. We whisper to him. The blind men had to be in the right place at the right time. As believers, we always have access to him. There's no excuse for us not to cry out to him. There's no excuse. My question for you is, are you allowing pride to keep you from crying out? Are you just trying to fix it on your own? Are you just trying to deal with it yourself by yourself? If that's what's keeping you from trying to connect with him. Let's continue our reading in verse 31. It says this, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So these two men 
are sitting there on the side of the road. All they can do is hear that Jesus is coming by. Jesus may have been like preaching a killer message. The crowd may have been just like swarming him, just trying to touch him. We really don't know the context. All we know is these individuals, they heard Jesus walking by and they start yelling for him, right? They start saying, Lord, son of David, Lord, son of David, can you see us? Come, come heal us, come heal us. And then what does the crowd do? The crowd turns on them and looks at them and says, you're not worth his time. Why, why would he come over to you? Don't you know that he is on his way for the Passover to Jerusalem? Don't you know he's busy? Do you think he really cares about the two of you? Like I said, the crowd around Jesus, they weren't necessarily Jesus followers because that's not how Jesus treated people. But what I really want to point out to you is there's a word, a little word in there, and it's they, but they shouted all the louder. You see, I believe that they were able to withstand the crowd because there were two of them. They had somebody else that understood their circumstances, somebody else that cared about them. They were able to link arms and face the crowd. So how should we pray in the midst of hardship? First, we cry out to him. Second, we persevere. And by persevering here, I think it's really important to highlight that they were able to persevere because they had somebody else in their corner. They had somebody else that understood their circumstances, that knew what they were going through. And it's so easy when we're going through a hard time to isolate, to withdraw, not only from God, but also from those people that care about us. We don't want people to see like the state that we're actually in, and so we withdraw. But here, we see when we have somebody else with us, and the world may say, it's hopeless, give up, it's never gonna get better. But when we have somebody with us, man, we can press forward. Just to be really honest and real with you guys, I, I honestly probably wouldn't have shared this if I were to preach last Sunday. Um, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I got a phone call that both of my grandparents were in the hospital with COVID. And if you know me at all, my grandparents are my heroes. They, man, they invested in me so much. They loved me so much. Anything I ever needed, they found a way. They were honestly, I would say my parents probably, I wouldn't even say always were my first call. A lot of times it was my grandparents. They were my heroes. So they're in the hospital. First off, like they're doing great. They were going to get out in a few days and then everything just changed. And it was one Wednesday about at this point, it was probably like two in the afternoon. My mom calls me and she's just like, T, which I don't know why my parents abbreviated my name and then abbreviated again, but it's fine. <laughs> but she was like, T, I just, I just really want to be real with you. I don't think Pop's making it through the night. And of course, I have to go then and teach about Jesus, which is always a lot of fun. And so I was like, hey, mom, just don't call me until after nine o'clock when I'm done with the students tonight. So I call her afterwards, and she was heading back to the hospital to tell my nana that my pop had passed away. 
And so I'm sitting there just like kind of overwhelmed, trying to really like figure it out because my grandmother's health was, she was the one that was going to die. Like my pop, my pop is a rock. He, he's in good health. And then I wake up the next morning and as my mom was getting ready to tell my Nana that my pop had passed away, without even telling her that pop had passed away, Nana passes away. So within like, I think it was like eight hours, I lost both of my grandparents, two of the big heroes in my life. Guys, I was, I was devastated. Like I had felt like in life, I had been able to navigate hardship really well. Like I was good at it. I was like, you know, I know what to do. I, you know, have been through counseling classes. I'm getting a degree in counseling. I know what to do. But then I was in that moment. I knew what scriptures to read. I knew every cliche saying in the world, right? But what did I really need in that time? And thankfully I got it. I needed people to come alongside me. And sometimes I needed them to not say anything, but them just to be there with me, just to pray with me. Sometimes it was making lasagna for me. And you know what? I got through it. Now, is everything great and normal now? No, but man, I don't know what I would have done without those people that came and locked arms with me. Because guys, it was hard. But like, I know the body of Christ here at Waterfront helped me through that time. And I am so thankful for it. But my question for you is this. Is it time you let the right people come alongside you in your hardship? Is it time you let the right people come alongside you in your hardship? Not just anybody, because there's some people that want to come and lock arms with you, and you're like, please let go of me, because they give you some really crazy advice. They point you in the complete wrong direction. Get the right people that are pointing you towards Jesus, that sometimes know it's better to say nothing. Get those people that are pointing you in the right direction, that are speaking life into you. Get the right ones. And it's amazing what will happen. Let's continue our reading in verse 32. It says this, Jesus stopped and called them. So remember, the crowd is like, be quiet, be quiet. And they're like, nope, not being quiet. So Jesus stopped with the giant crowd and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Man, there's so much good stuff in here, and I could have like six points come out of it, but I'm just going to focus on one because I want to respect your time. So how should we pray in the midst of hardship? First, we cry out to him. Second, we persevere. And then third, we pray without limits. We pray without limits. So here, we have Jesus with his crowd, Jesus with his disciples, but then don't forget that passage that I read in Mark 10. We also have Jesus navigating like all of these emotions and these feelings leading up to him going to the cross. Yet, what did he do? Did he say he was too busy? Did he say, I don't care? No, he stopped, and what, did, what was that key word in that passage? He had compassion on them. He didn't say, I have too much going on. 
I can't deal with this right now. No, he had compassion on them. That is the heart of God. He has compassion for us when we are going through hardship. He is there for us when we are going through hardship. So don't believe those lies that you have that God can't connect with you. He can't relate to you. He's too busy for you. No, this is who God is. We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. But I also want to point out these two blind men in that moment when they finally get Jesus's attention, which who knows if they actually thought they would get it or not. But when they finally get it, this is their moment. This is the last time that Jesus is going to come through this town. He's not coming through again. And what do they ask for? They don't ask. They don't like chicken out and say, hey, can I get some change? Can I get some bread? Can I? No, they say, Jesus, we want our sight. Through the Holy Spirit, I believe these men recognized who Jesus truly was, that he was the one that could move the mountains. He was the one that could take them from not being able to see to being able to see. And they asked. They asked without chickening out. They asked without fear that he couldn't do it. Do not limit God in your prayers. Do not limit God with your prayers. Sometimes when we're praying, especially when it's something big that we're wrestling with, and maybe we're like struggling like with that connection piece, right? Like we know we should be connecting with God, but we don't really want to. Maybe it's because of our pride, because we want to figure it out. Maybe it's because God feels pretty far away. And I I want to emphasize that word feels because it's all feelings, right? That's not the truth. God is right there. But we feel like he's far away. Maybe we even struggle because we're like, does he care? Which in this passage, what did he do? He had compassion. And that's the same God. He has compassion for us. But maybe you're like, God doesn't really know what it's like. He doesn't really understand what I'm going through. And that reminds me of one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. And it's Hebrews 15, verse 14 through 16. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly, firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us through our time of need. Do you guys get that? Even Jesus experienced these hardships. Losing a loved one, Jesus can check that box. He did that. Going through physical pain, definitely can check that box. Jesus felt what we feel. We don't serve a God that is so distant that it can't relate to us. We serve a God that came down in human form and experienced what we experience. So when we pray to him, he knows. He knows. When we have something ahead that, man, we are not looking forward to, he knows yet we don't connect with him because maybe we feel like he can't relate to us. That's insane. Maybe we don't connect with him because we doubt his power. 
Easter, he conquered death. A lot of the reasons we choose not to really connect with him, we, if we read our Bibles, we really look at what the gospel says, a lot of those lies that we believe are eliminated. He cares about us. He loves us. He has compassion on us. He understands. That is the God that we serve. Maybe you have just been overwhelmed by doubt in what he can do. And that leads me to our last question. Are you protecting God with your prayers? Are you protecting God with your prayers? No one wants to admit that they doubt that God can do the things that you're praying for. But what I love about prayer is as we are praying to him, prayer is our hearts aligning with his heart. And the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we cry out to him, I think a lot of times we realize what really is important. Where maybe at one point we were praying for one miracle and then God reveals, man, we've been praying for the wrong thing. But a lot of times our own pride, our own wanting to fix it, when we start praying to God and he reveals something completely different, we're like, no God, but I want it this way. I want it in my way. I know your way is better, but I want it my way because we are just stubborn, prideful people. But the more time we connect with him, the more he reveals his truth. The more he gives us a different perspective about our circumstances. Because remember what Jesus is doing right here in this passage. He's doing a lot of these things. He knows the cross is ahead. And what does he do a lot of time in the Passion Week? He isolates himself, spends time in prayer. Remember that funny passage where Jesus is like in the worst spot possible and he like tells his buddies, he's like, hey, stay here and pray for me. And they fall asleep. He knows. He, he prayed even for him not to have to face the cross. He knows. But he also realized that because he got experienced the cross, because he got to face that, we are able to connect with him. And now we have the ability to go before him each and every day. So what's our excuse Why aren't we running to him? Why aren't we trying to get his attention when our world seems like it's falling apart? Let's pray.